You're listening to the Pops on Hops podcast, where we listen to some pops, drink a little hops, and I get to hang out with my pop. I'm Abigail Hummel. And I'm Barry Hummel. We want to welcome you to our next episode, episode 31. I got to choose the album today, and today's album will be Midnight Oil's seminal album from about 1988, Diesel and Dust. It was released in the United States in 1988, and that's when I discovered it. I have an interesting story about how I came to the album, which I think I'm going to share with you today, but we'll talk about all that in a few minutes. Tell us where we'll be tasting our beers today, Abigail. I got to pick the brewery and the beers today, and I'm really excited because we're at Intracoastal Brewing Company in Melbourne, Florida. It's a really cute little space, mostly outdoor seating. There's this really cute courtyard that we're sitting in with turf grass and looks to be dog friendly. There's all kinds of little dogs running around. So really happy to be here and really happy that their flights are six beers. So we're going to be trying six beers on the podcast today. And I think there's only 10 songs on the album, so this is going to be a rock and roll episode (laughs) for the ages, right? Yes. So I uh, discovered this brewery back in 2015. I was up here running a race and came over here to have a beer. And when I came here, it was just that small building that's over my shoulder was the original brewery. Very cool place. Loved the beer that day. I went back and looked at my notes and I gave high ratings on everything I had that day. And then in 2020, just before the pandemic, I managed to sneak in here with your Uncle Derek. Mm -hmm. We were able to do a drive-through thing here and pick up some cans. We weren't allowed to stop and actually have a beer as things were starting to melt down. And we got a four pack of their Pie Day beers from that particular year, which were all spectacular. Wow. So we shared those to try those uh, right before the pandemic. This is the first time I've been back since. And this building behind you that makes this courtyard is all new to the brewery. So clearly they've had some growth over the last several years. Well, a couple weekends ago when you joined me in Gainesville at the Hogtown Craft Beer Festival, Intracoastal was at the festival. That's right. They were. And the beer I had, well, I had a couple beers from them that day. But the one that really stuck out to me was Babble Jacks, which was an apple cereal double stout. And I was so fascinated by that, that today I centered my flight choices around the rest of their cereal series. Oh, cool. So we have the three remaining beers from their cereal series, which like the Pie Day series is available in a mixed four pack here at the brewery in Cannes. So we'll be sampling those and three other ones and all different styles today. So we are not doubling up on any one style. So we're going to get quite a variety and I'm really excited to taste them. They look really interesting. Well, if they're as good as the Pie Day beers, which I think I gave everything a four or higher out of the four pack of their pie day beers back in 2020. So if they're anything like that, we're going to have a really good day. And I noticed it's a lot of those flavorful things. I don't see uh, too much in the way of an IPA on our list here. So I can see you really did a good job picking. Excuse me. I gave you a double IPA. Which one's that? Vine and Dandy. Oh, Vine and Dandy. We'll get to it. That's going to be the fifth one we have. (laughs) Well, let's get into the first one and then you can tell me a little bit more about Midnight Oil. You got it. So the first one is called Southern style and this is an amber lager they describe this as a light-bodied amber lager with subtle notes of caramel biscuit and toasted malt crisp and clean with a light malty finish it is a gorgeous caramel color it's clear as clear can be not cloudy at all Mm. That's really good. That's a picture-perfect amber lager, if I do say so myself. Yeah, it's along a sweet, malty side, which I like. I'll be honest with you, I think it's a little more flavorful than you get from a lot of amber lagers. We talk about it all the time with the ambers. A small range of flavor. This is on the good side of that range, so I like that one a lot. And to prove to our listeners that we care about what we're talking about and we want to know what we're talking about, you and I both enrolled in a beer course. Is that, that is right? correct, yes. So we are currently both enrolled in a course to become certified beer servers. Right. That's the first level. That's the first level. That's the course 101. Yes. (laughs) 
and I don't know how far you've gotten into it, but I got through everything on how to store and pour beer, and I'm now into the different regions of the world. So I have covered German and Czech beers, and I've covered English and Irish and Scottish beers at this point, and I learned so much about lagers and the different malts that are used and the different flavor notes that different levels of darkness of malts can get. And it's really interesting. Highly recommend this course. It is expensive, <laughs> but it's all in the Pops it's on Hops budget. on the Pops budget. on Hops budget, so we know how that goes. So looking at the color, I would expect a toasted kind of graham crackery flavor on the sweeter side. And that is definitely what I'm getting. So checks out. Yeah, I like that one a lot. So while we're sipping on that, before we rate that, we probably have to rate that one before we even get into the album. So many <laughs> yeah, to do no, that. you're probably right. But this album, this is an interesting story of how I came upon this album. So I was in medical school. It was the MTV era. And I saw this music video by this band, Midnight Oil, that I didn't know anything about. And the video basically takes place in what looks like a Native American reservation. You can't really tell the setting, but you can tell that it's impoverished. The folks in the video look like they were Native Americans. And the song was For Beds Are Burning, hmm. which is clearly about returning land to people that you stole it from. Mm -hmm. So I thought that the band was American and that they were addressing Native American rights. I thought it was super cool. Now from here, there's two versions of the story. The first version of the story is that somewhere along the way, I realized they're not American they're Australian mm -hmm. and the struggle they were talking about is exactly the same right. but it was about the Aboriginal rights of the native tribes in Australia the other version of the story is I didn't know that yet but regardless of that I'm coming to Miami with my friend Mike Franz another classmate of mine from medical school to stay at his family's house all right well Having had a big discussion with Abigail about a Midnight Oil concert that I saw in 1988 and not really remembering it precisely as I should have, I am delighted to introduce everybody to Dr. Michael Franz, a friend of mine from the University of Florida College of Medicine in the 80s, who actually attended that concert with me. And I'm going to share the same story I shared with Abigail, and I'm going to see if he can correct the record or confirm the record or help me with my memory divergence. So here's what I remember. All right. I remember discovering a song, Beds Are Burning, on MTV. Yes. I remember thinking at some point that it was about Native Americans in the United States. I didn't know I remember that. that they were Australian. Mm -hmm. I remember going to visit your family in June of 1988, mm -hmm. making a trip, going down, have a fruit shopping with your dad. Yes. We get in the car, we're driving down, and that song comes on. Mm -hmm. Were you aware of that band when that song came on, or was that something that I introduced you to when we were in the car? Eerily both, because you probably remember that MTV was featuring Midnight Oil too, and I spent a lot of time on MTV back when it played music. But definitely recall you paying attention to that song on the radio, which is also fun to think about from 1988, the crucial importance of the radio. Right. And um, I'm going to say, yeah, they were on the radar screen, but you were pulling it to the forefront. Now, while we're driving down, and here's the one I can't figure out in my head. Did we know they were from Australia? No, we did not know. I remember that clearly. We did not know they were from Australia. Okay. Was that the hook? Well, that's the thing I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember if I figured out that it was about the Aboriginal people, right. that they were Australian, and the song was about the Aboriginal people before or after we drove to your parents. And I'm going to show you why. 
Okay. Because when we got to your folks' house that night, it was a Friday night. Yep. And when we got there in Miami, your dad had the Miami Herald there on the table, the coffee table. Yeah. And the entertainment section was out. And I'm going to share with you what was on the cover of the entertainment section. This is okay. the article wow. yeah. from the paper about Midnight Oil. I couldn't remember if it was the article that informed us that they were from Australia. Yeah. That's what I mostly remember. But I was like, well, maybe I knew before we went down there and this just confirmed it. But I think it was this article that was how we figured out they were from Australia. Yeah, that sounds right. I don't think we knew with the life we were living and the hours we kept, even as I already said, my dedication to MTV. And I can vividly remember their Beds Are Burning video. I did not yet connect the dots that they were an Australian band. I do remember you paying attention to that article. And I think that's where we learned. That was mostly what I remember. But then part of me was like, well, maybe I knew that before we went down there. But I, because how, you're right. How would we know? It's not like they announced that kind of stuff on MTV or maybe they did. And who was really paying attention, right? Because MTV was generally yeah. on in the backdrop. It was. It was like having a radio on with pictures. And I'm trying to fight like revisionist memory because I know now the incredible influence of Midnight Oil. And I know you already know this and, and hopefully Abigail's learning this. For me, for example, it's one of the funnest cocktail party questions. What are the greatest bands from Australia? And what are the greatest bands from Canada? Right. <laughs> Those are all fun to do. And everybody knows I'm talking about Australia. Now, everybody knows ACDC. And you've already mentioned or in conversations we've had, we've mentioned in excess often. Sometimes you'll get a crowded house, but you'll rarely have somebody pick up Midnight Oil. Yeah, I think we learned about it in that news article and then went to reinforce it on Miami Beach. Yeah, because the other thing about that article was so cool was like, they're here in concert tonight. That I remember. But the club's actually named in this article somewhere. Let me see if I can. No, it is named. I can help you out if you want. It was called 1235. That's cr- oh, there it is. It's on the very first sentence. Rockers offer a grimmer view of Crocodile Dundee's Australia with a strong dose of politics and debuting in South Florida this weekend at Summers on the Beach at 1235. There you go. So we decided spur of the moment. Let's do this. Yep. And I'm telling you right now, yeah, the best concerts I ever saw. We're now what? Oh, my God. 34 years in the future. And I can't tell you how many times. I've been in a situation, usually with a beer in my hand, (laughs) where the subject of music will come up and what's the best concert you've seen? And I will reflexively answer The Who. So I've seen The Who, but that's a story for another day. But my second answer is always, you know, I saw Midnight Oil in a small club on Miami Beach when they first came to the United States in 1988. That's one of the greatest concerts I've ever seen. You're right. I just remember it was a very small venue. I remember something like almost yep. standing room only, right? We were That's standing. Right. You were all standing. And uh, it was like three layers, each with a bar, if I'm remembering it right. And we were kind of in the top tier, but we couldn't have been 50 yards away from the stage. It was such a <laughs> tiny venue. Right. And that guy did not stop bouncing around that stage for the entire time they were on stage. No. no. I described it to Abigail as a whirling dervish. Like he just he was, was in constant motion and he's a yeah. giant guy. Huge. In fact, huge. I had a friend who saw him in uh, Broward, Fort Lauderdale area on that same tour. Like they came up the yeah. coast. He said, yeah, he played at a club and I didn't recognize the name or I've never been there, but he said yeah. he had a lower ceiling on the stage and he wasn't as good <laughs> because he had to be careful. He was afraid he was going to bang his head on the ceiling <laughs> I said, well you should have been there the night before in miami because yeah. that was out of control fun he was into it the show we saw from beginning to end was energetic and i remember it very well and i'm so glad you pulled the trigger on that decision because that was not to be missed 
Yeah, and I had this other vague recollection. See if you remember it. The drummer had this weird rack above him of pipes that yep. he was banging on. Am I yep. right about that? It looked like a plumbing, yeah. almost a plumbing kit, right? Yeah, and again, in hindsight, and you know, revisionist memory is tough, but they are Australian and they have a history with the Aborigines. Everything we came to learn. So I suspect it was an homage or tribute or an effort to recreate the sounds they heard when they were in Australia. Well, I just had this vision because it was a bus tour of the desert. Yeah. You know, hence the name Diesel and Dust is the, right. is the title of the album for that reason. And I can just imagine what claptrap vans they were riding around <laughs> with up the desert in Australia and that yeah. industrial kind of sound that they created on that album. None of their other albums has that in it as precisely as this one. There, there's no, that banging on the pipes is not does not appear in earlier albums or subsequent albums. It's very specific to that album. You're right. It's haunting. I, anybody that's a fan and anybody that's learning about them for the first time will pick up on what you just described. And it's throughout the whole album. For me, it's always there. I will never lose that sound. We heard it live. And so for me, it's you know haunting. They were phenomenal. They earned every recognition they got from that album. It's got a very unique sound. It's not dated. It takes me back to a time and place. And obviously that's the concert more than anything else, right? (laughs) But it it takes me back, you know, the way music forms your memories and puts you in places. Mm -hmm. You and I could have 5,000 conversations about that time in Gainesville, right? We could, yep. That's not to say that it's dated because it doesn't sound of the 80s. It sounds like its own unique style for like one album that they didn't even replicate themselves. That's just, to me, that makes it timeless. You're right. Comparisons are cliche sometimes as well, but I think of U2, I think of R.E.M. And then here's Midnight Oil who created this album with a message and more importantly, music that held up the message. And yeah, we were lucky to uh, be part of that. And it's not gone. It's there for people like Abigail to hear and learn about. Well, thank you so much for confirming what I vaguely remembered. <laughs> we had a great day or two. Where, what a magical day or two that we put it all together. And then, man, Barry, for you and I to see them live, come on. My one, number one story is that I learned it from the newspaper article. And then I started having self-doubt thinking, no, I had to know that before we got to yeah. South Florida. And it was fate that you found that article on my father. God bless him for laying it out. I was impressed that we drove all the way down, spent some time with your family. Yep. We get there and we're like, okay, we're out. We're checking out. Yeah. We're going to the show. <laughs> Which is very unlike me to do, you know, tight German family immigrants. But when you... You had a good idea, and you often did. And we went. We hopped in the car, and we went to South Beach. And I, like I have said already, I have shared that story so many times. And I'm glad we had that. I'm glad we had Yeah. Thank you so much for jumping on. Dr. Michael Franz, one of my best friends from medical school. Thank you for confirming my memory, which is almost full. All right, Barry. Bye. Peace. <laughs> stunning show. Wow, I bet. So I hadn't bought the album, but I watched that show. I knew one song. I was blown away by it. I bought the album very quickly after that. It's come to be one of my favorite albums that I own. Wow. I play this album to this day all the time. Wow. I love this album. So I'm delighted to be able to share it with you. I hope you liked it. I don't know that you'll like it as much as I do, but I certainly do hope you like it because to me, it's a fascinating album. This album took me a really, really, really long time. 
to get into. Oh, wow. The sound is great. The sound is something I love, you know. It's right in my wheelhouse. I love the industrial sounds, the jangly guitar. I think the guitar and the drums, frankly, sound very much like R.E.M. I know I say this all the time for every album, but I think the musical part of this band sounds a lot like R.E.M. But I couldn't get past his voice for a long time. His voice is really discordant with the music, and it took me out of it for a long time. As I got used to it, I started to enjoy the album more. And now, I really, really, really like it, with the exception of one song, which I always skip. Oh, wow. We'll get to that. And you know, skips are not uncommon, but they yeah. don't happen with every album for me. So I love the musicality of this album. The lyrics are really deep. The imagery they produce, it's a lot of very location-specific imagery. It's very clear the terrains that they're talking about. A lot of it, even the title of the album, Diesel and Dust, reminds me so much of Mad Max. Now, I came into it knowing they were Australian, and they talk about the desert a lot. So, to me, the ethos of the lyrics are very Mad Maxy. Do you know how the album came to be? I do not. So, this is their sixth album. Oh, wow. The first one that really got them, not international recognition, I think Red Sails and Sunset was an earlier album where they had a hit in the U.S. and they got some success in the United States as a result of that. But this was the album that really put them on the map. First of all, Peter Garrett, the lead singer, has been very politically active forever. In fact, after this album and subsequent albums, he actually has been involved in politics. I think he ran for whatever the Australian Parliament equivalent is oh, and things wow. like that. He's been very actively involved on three key issues. Nuclear proliferation. Huh, okay. The environment. Yeah and Aboriginal rights. And you're going to find songs on this album that are in those themes throughout yeah. the album. Yeah. But here's why this album really came to be. They got put on a tour with two Aboriginal bands and they toured all of these areas where the yeah. Aborigines live in Australia to yeah. play these concerts. Wow. And that's where this road trip Mad Max vibe, the diesel and dust comes from because they're on tour buses, driving huh. in the desert, gone from what you and I would think of as Native American reservations, not really what they are called in Australia, tribal lands in Australia to do these performances. And that inspired them to write this album. This one has a unique sound among their albums. The subsequent albums, the industrial sound is missing. Okay. They're a little more standard rock. The two albums after this, by the way, are very good as well. Blue Sky Mining was the follow-up album, and then Earth and Sun and Moon. Blue Sky Mining was really more the songs about economic disparity, and Earth and Sun and Moon has got more songs that are about the environment. But the same themes that we're going to talk about as we go through the songs here. I was always fascinated by, I mean, it's really hardcore aboriginal rights like we need to yeah. give them back their stuff yeah what we did was wrong it's very very strong throughout the album through yes. a lot of the songs and these localities that you're talking about are places that they visited on this tour there's one song that's the name of an area where aborigines live you know it took me a long time to fully understand the depth of it. i mean i understood it when i got the album in 1988 right it took me longer to really fully understand it and for this guy to put his money where his mouth is the band doesn't play all the time. They just released an album recently, which I hadn't had a chance to listen to That's cool. before we did this. First one in years. It's billed as their last album because they kind of come and go. Oh, wow. They go work on other stuff and then they come back together and they do a little tour like they did a tour in 2016. They're touring on this current album, this 2022 album. So they come and go from it because of their involvement in other organizations to work on the exact issues they talk about in their albums. 
that kind of passion for the projects isn't just about writing songs about it right. and touring on it. In their downtime, they do the work too, especially Peter Garrett. So I'm glad you overall like the album. And again, sometimes the deepest albums are the hardest ones to get into. Not that it's inaccessible. It takes you time to be able to access it fully. And it's multiple listenings and it's really understanding what the lyrics are. That's the take home message here. I think ultimately this album was worth the work, was worth the time I put into it. Cause I really do enjoy it now. I think of all the albums you've given me, I may have listened to this one the most and not cause I like it the most, but just because it took me all those extra listens to really appreciate it. And to be able to come into this conversation with, I think enough thoughtful things to say about it and enough appreciation of it to make it worth reviewing. Excellent. And I appreciate the extra context you gave about how the album came about. I was listening to the lyrics the lyrics sound so personal. I was curious as to whether anyone in the band was of Aboriginal descent because I'm sure we'll get into some of this when we do the individual songs, but in a lot of the songs when they're talking about the Aboriginal issues, they say we. And it sounds like they're referring to themselves as of the marginalized group they are talking about. And so I was curious about that, but it sounds like he just identifies strongly with this as an issue and not necessarily as an identity. I think his use of the word we is because it's a problem that we all need to solve. Oh, sure, of course. So his use of the word we is because he recognizes that his ancestors were part of the problem. And so we can only fix it together. The citizens of Australia, the, the collective we have to fix it. We can't rely on the politicians to do that. So what can we do mm-hmm. as citizens to make this right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the point of view we always write that from. Before we get into the track by track, just because the wheel of flavor today is large <laughs> and it is a wheel. It I is a wheel, a, yeah. I took a picture of it for the website. It's a very cool flight board. I think we should rate this first beer Southern, Southern style. style right? Really enjoy this, especially for an amber. It's smooth, it's light, it's yeah. easy to drink, malty, sweet. It's all the things we said before. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to give it, and I say unfortunately because I'd like to give it a little higher rating. I don't think it's quite a four. I think it's probably uh, higher, deserves higher than the 375 I'm going to get it. But again, we don't have one tenth points, and we know why. <laughs> why don't you sponsor us? Just give us the keys to the car and free us from this untapped. We can't take it anymore. But I'm going to give it a 375, although I would give this probably a 39 if I was using tents. But because of the limitations of the system, I'm going to go with a 375. Interesting. Well, I'm going to balance that out for you because I'm going to give it a 3.75, which, as we know, is a higher rating That's right. on my scale than it is on your scale. So 375, delicious for an amber. Probably one of the better ambers I've ever had. I would agree with that. I and really would agree with that. Yeah, and I, yeah. It's a memorable one. It is a memorable one, yeah. Right. If someone was like, what's a good amber lager? I would say intracoastal southern style. Yeah, no, I would too. I agree with that. I think that's a very good entry in that category. Well, next on the list is called Mini Weights. And Mini Weights. This is an entry in the cereal series. Okay. Oh, Mini Weights. Mini Weights. So it's a takeoff of mini wheat, I'm guessing. Yes. So this is a Hefeweizen made with strawberry frosted mini wheat cereal. What? Then fermented on huge amounts of strawberries and finished with vanilla. Notes and flavors of strawberries and cream with a wheat malt finish. What? They use this actual cereal. They use the actual they're cereal. Tra- they're not trying to mimic the cereal. They threw no, the cereal in. No, no. They put in- the cereal in there. That's Holy what Holy cow. With the Babble Jacks I had at the beer fest, they put Apple Jacks cereal in that one. So... 
Oh my goodness, is that delicious. Oh my god. That's crazy good. For a cereal, I would have expected it maybe to be a little creamier, but there's no, I mean, it makes sense. There's no lactose in there. Right. It's very strawberry and it has sort of that milky sweetness without any creaminess. Yeah. It's you, interesting. You can tell the base beer is a half weasel. So the fruit's forward in the sip. And when that wanes, you get the sense of the wheat beer behind it. Yeah. You know me, I don't generally like the wheat beers because of the same kinds of things I say before. They don't challenge themselves. There's a tight range of flavors, but this one's really good. I don't know. I think wheat beers take unique flavors better than amber lagers would. I agree. Red ale. I agree. Know? Yeah. This is That's really, this good. Is really good. I think what I'm tasting is the vanilla and that is making me expect the creaminess that's not there. But yeah, this is a really, really good beer. Wow. Well, while we're sipping on that, I think we should start our song by song Let's do it. playlist, right? Yes. You're going to start off, obviously, with the song that brought me to the album. And as it happens, the only song on this album that I had heard before. No shock there. So this is track one, Beds Are Burning. first chorus. Something that is common to a lot of these songs is that they have very long intros and they often have two verses before the first chorus, making clips difficult to pick for this album. But that's okay. I like this song very much. It is not in my top three. It was the only one I had heard before. Instantly recognizable first three notes that sound very similar to another very recognizable opening three notes that I'm going to play here in a moment. Oh my God. <laughs> Getting into the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking Smartly about music early in the episode You're this week. You're not even ready for the amount of supplemental material I oh have God. on this episode. Maybe we should slow down on the wheel of flavor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, the lyrics on this one are very straightforward, but I think they have a little bit of a double meaning, right? So they're clearly talking, you know, the time has come to say fair's fair, to pay the rent, to pay our share, to give back what we stole. That's exactly right. But the beds are burning also can relate to the environmental disasters that Australia has gone through with the drastic fires. Well, in 2020 was the most recent batch of them right. that we all thought was going to be the event of 2020. Right. Before the pandemic. Right. It became an afterthought. It became too a much total later. afterthought because those were happening in like January of 2020. Yeah. Two of his pet issues making an appearance in this song. Now, I don't know if the beds are burning was meant to be that double meaning, but that's what I thought of as well. So the only clue that I had that it's Australian comes from the line boiling diesel steam in 45 degrees right because he's Celsius. talking in celsius 
Yes. When I go back to, did I figure out they were Australian before or after that newspaper article in Miami, the day I saw them in concert, I don't know the answer to that, but that should have been one of my first clues, right? Yes. So whenever I hear beds are burning, because so much of this was about their tour travel and the places they went, and I can just imagine sleeping in the desert on a tour. How do we sleep when our beds are burning? Yeah. We may have had a little personal touch as well. Sure. Given the travel circumstances during the tour. But this is my favorite song on the album. It's one of those that's nostalgia maybe a little bit to a certain degree because it's the one that helped me discover the band and the album but I think the song still holds up I think as a political statement the writing's very clear on most of the songs on this album but this is about as on the nose as you're going to get about what the issue is pretty much it's easy to follow it's a number one single in Australia it ranked here very highly on the US charts and really put them on the map so love this song a lot love the sentiment of the song it's the one that makes you realize there are political band not just a band so I have a real soft spot for this one it is strange though because later in the album they talk in Fahrenheit about degrees we'll get there either that or it's super super hot I don't think 110 (laughs) degrees Celsius is a physically possible weather event but we'll obviously get to that song when we get to it for now let's take a little trip to the Abigail Hummel School of Speaking Smartly About Music I'm gonna get a drink I'm gonna need a drink for this (laughs) what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna play the first two seconds of this song two seconds am I gonna have to name it in two seconds no, like, no, this like, song, Beds Are Burning. Okay, first, two seconds. Two seconds, yeah, okay. the first three notes. And then I'm going to play the first two seconds of another song. Let's okay. See if you can recognize that one. And I have to identify the second song. Yes. Okay. Okay, so here is the first two seconds of Beds Are Burning. <laughs> yeah. Smoke on the Water? Yes. Smoke on the Water by Deep Purple. The first three notes, although they are not the same notes, are played at the same tempo and it's the same distance between the notes. And when I first heard the iconic first three notes of Beds Are Burning, I thought I was listening to Smoke on the Water. I was like, why is that riff not continuing? How do you explain that? I'm just impressed that you knew Smoke on the Water. Well, it was also in the Weird Al Yankovic polka medley. Oh, right. That's true. It's it's a song that's in the culture. But you didn't play the Weird Al the first three notes no. of the Weird Al version <laughs> on accordion. Well, those weren't in that. No, I know. And this, this, the Deep Purple album's from 1972, so Deep Purple came first, and I have to think that Midnight Oil was heavily inspired. You know, I also think that if they put some classic rock music in that hurdle game that everybody's playing, I'd do better. <laughs> For somebody who hosts a music podcast, I cannot play the hurdle. Well, you don't know any top 40 currently. I don't know anything. I came close on one. I knew the artist and guessed the wrong track. Was that Outcast? <laughs> no, no, no. It was um, Lil Nas X. All right. Any other comments on Beds Are Burning? No, it's probably in the top half of the album for me, but not in my top three. And this album has, what, 10 tracks on 10. it? 10, yeah. Yeah, so it's probably five or six. Okay. With that, let's move on to track two, and track two is called Put Down That Weapon. And if we think about it And if we talk about it And if the skies go dark with rain Can you tell me does our freedom
is okay. And coming out of that really hard rockin' first song into this one, which still has great instrumentation, but it's a little slower. He's singing a little more softly. This song is a bit of a letdown for me. It's probably in my bottom three, but great lyrics. He's talking about the threat of total nuclear annihilation, it right. sounds like. Put down that weapon or we'll all be gone. And given that this was made in the late 80s, you know, the Cold War. Yes, the timing is perfect for that. Right? Yep. And now we're dealing with another <laughs> Yeah, it, it didn't get any better, did it? Right? We thought yeah. we won the Cold War and now we're back at it again. And we're still kind of dealing with the potential of mutual assured destruction and total nuclear annihilation. So, lyrics very appropriate for the time they were written. They still hold up to this day. I do love the line, it happens to be an emergency. I think that is a really funny way to say that because when you say something like, oh, it happens to be such and such, it kind of sounds like you're downplaying it, right? right? You're like qualifying what you're saying. You're not saying it's an emergency. You're saying, oh, it happens to be an emergency. And the contrast of that sort of qualifying that with the fact that it is an actual emergency that could potentially affect everyone on the planet, I thought that was a really interesting juxtaposition and I really, really like that line. Yeah, I feel like he says it that way because it isn't being treated as an emergency. Now, remember, this is 1987-88, right? Like you said, yeah. the problem didn't go away. By the way, that's the second song on a topic that where we haven't fixed the problem since 1987, right? We haven't right, done anything yeah. on these aboriginal rights or reparations for Native Americans for the genocide that was perpetrated even here in the United States. Yeah. We haven't fixed the nuclear problem, even though we had a window to probably do it not too long after this song was written. Right. So, yeah, I agree with you. I have two songs that I put on the bottom. This is one of them. I love the lyrics on this one. It is a slower song. I think part of why it goes near the bottom for me is that this is a bad two slot. That's what I was saying. It's not that it's the song. I like the song a lot. It's that I have a little less love for the song because of where it's placed. I totally agree with you. It was not a good choice for the two no, slot. No, not for this band. I think you have to open the album. Obviously, we know the opening track is the most important, but I think in some cases you have to really open the album with a one-two punch if you're going to keep folks engaged. I think this may have been one of the reasons I didn't get into this album immediately was because I knew the first song already, had already heard it. Obviously, it's a great song. Very upbeat, loud, boisterous, iconic. And then this was second. This is your second bite of the apple. This You're like, is, really? Exactly. Yeah. This is my first new experience yeah. of Midnight Oil. And I'm like, oh boy, is this what the rest of the album is? And it's not. It's not. That's the thing, right? There's only two slow songs on here and there's one that starts slow and ramps up. The rest of them are up-tempo. Right. So if you have that much up-tempo music to share, right. share a couple up front to <laughs> right. tell us that's what it's really going to be. Thank you. Totally and then, agree. And then move the slow stuff into, this would be like a nice way to close side one in a vinyl album. Yeah. And then flip it to another high energy song on the backside. One of sure. those placements. Yeah. So I think it's the placement of the song that makes me care for it less. Care for it less than I should otherwise. And for a long time, I had it in the bottom slot. Mm. And it didn't end up there at the end. Well, it's already time to rate our second beer. Yeah, let's do it. We're rocking today. We are. I'm going strong on this one. I like this one very much. I'm giving this one a four. Wow. I'm also giving it a four. Wow. We've matched twice on beer ratings. We have. What is up with Nothing that? Nothing on song so far, Nothing but on twice song on so beer. Far, yeah. All the things I say before stand hasn't changed as it's gotten any warmer. Not that it's gotten much warmer because we only rated two songs, but very sweet, very strawberry, light. 
Yeah. Almost, Strawberries, almost strong flavor. effervescent, would you say? Yeah, but again, that's the Hefweizen coming through. I think that's why that light effervescent feel is because of the style of beer. Yeah, and I definitely get the vanilla as well. So 4.0 for me. All right. So take the pen and write that down and then tell me where we're going on the wheel of flavor because I know you do not want me to grab that vine and dandy. I don't, not yet. Okay, so we're going to go kind of like 7 o'clock. Oh, snap, crack, pop. Yep. Oh, snap, crack, pop. Huh. Well, do tell me what this involves. I bet you can guess. This is going to be rice in the mix. <laughs> this is in the cereal series. This is a marshmallow rice ale. A rice ale made with Rice Krispies treat cereal, dehydrated marshmallows, and finished with vanilla. Crisp and clean, finishing slightly sweet, toasty, and marshmallowy. Okay, let's find out. Ooh. I like that one, too. Okay, this is interesting because I know you can't comment on this, but it smells... What? Smells what? Extremely marshmallowy. And wh why can't you Why can't you comment you on this? You know, I struggle with... Yeah, so it smells extremely marshmallowy, and it smells like it's going to be sort of overpoweringly sweet, but it's, but it's not. not... It's not... I really like rice ales. I think the rice... I mean, rice has a flavor, and sometimes it's hard to pick that up, but it gives it sort of a maltiness without any extra sweetness, if that makes sense. What do you mean a maltiness in that we've had that discussion about malty as a grain versus yeah. a sweet, right? Yeah. Or we say it's kind of a bready maltiness. Yeah. I think rice imparts that kind of malty right. flavor to it's it. It's a grainy flavor grainy. without adding any extra sweetness, yes. which is good because clearly the sweetness in here is coming from the marshmallow. I think if they had not cut it with some of that extra rice. Yeah, that one drinks <laughs> almost like a dry beer to me. Yeah, no, but you get the marshmallow a little bit up front and then a little bit at the end yeah. and, and not really in the middle and it's really good. So the base beer, just to be clear, you said is a rice... Rice ale. Ale. Yes. It's clear as a bell. It is. And it's a light golden color. Yes. I like describing those features on audio for those of you who can't see it. That's a good beer. Another winner for me. Well, with that, let's move on to track three. And track three is called Dream World. is far and away my favorite song on the album. It's my third favorite. I just love this song so much. I wish I could have played the whole song. I picked a long clip. I think the drums on this one are fantastic. I think the fast, jangly guitar is beautiful. This song is the one to me that sounds most like R.E.M. I have an entry in the Abigail Hummel School speaking smartly about music. It's a loose association. I still want to 
play it because I want to see what you think of it. But okay. this song to me is absolutely gorgeous. Although it is very depressing in the lyrics. <laughs> it's talking about the fall of a utopic community, a utopian society. Your dream world will fall. Your dream world will end. Yeah. And it's a, yet another example of a beautiful melody telling me a terrible thing. Although it has a lot of road trip elements to it. There's a lot of local Australian locale, like the opening line, the Breakfast Creek Hotel's up for sale. I went and looked that up. It's an iconic hotel built in the 1800s. It's in a remote part of, uh, I think, northeastern Australia. That kind of imagery from the road trip, things that he saw on that tour yeah. interests me a lot. But specifically things that are decaying, closing down, falling apart. Right. No longer in commission. Which is what his trip was like. Right. He went to a lot of really impoverished areas, run-down places. So there's that element to it. I totally agree with you. But it is such a rocking melody. It is so And good. coming out of the last song, it wakes you up. It does. Right? I know. When this song came on, I was like, okay, maybe we're back right. in business right. here. And to think about that from this point on, really, well, maybe the next song, which we'll be talking about in a minute, I think maybe after the next song, the rest of the album is just a complete driving force. Right? Yes, yes. So you have these nuggets that this is a very powerful album in, in two of the three songs, two of the four, really. And then it right. just rocks on from that. Right. And the other thing about this style of music, if you liked this song a lot, you will really like Blue Sky Mining. Because okay. Blue Sky Mining is really more stylistically like this okay. song, the whole album. Yeah. So that industrial pipe banging that you hear in a lot of this yeah. album kind of disappears in sure. Blue Sky Mining. You said, you know, the rest of the album is a driving force, and I agree with that. The rest of the album is harder than this song. This song to me is kind of light poppy. and bouncy. Yeah, it's poppy. Exactly. And the rest of the album is not not like this either. This it's is raw a, power. It's raw power. But, the, but this is a good entree into that because at least it gets you back into the mood to hear that kind of stuff after the last one. You know? Yeah, and if you think a Beds Are Burning is more like the rest of the album, this song yeah. is an outlier in this yeah. kind of poppy musical style. So, yeah, it's my third favorite on the album, but it is an oddity on this record. So, I am going to play a little bit of the R.E.M. song that I thought sounded most... Please do. I don't know why this association jumped into my head, but I thought this song sounded like R.E.M., and I thought it sounded like this song. I didn't have to go through and listen to some R.E.M. songs to figure out which one I thought it sounded like. This association jumped instantly into my head, and to me, that's a sign. My instincts are usually good and correct, but then when I went back and listened to it, I couldn't figure out exactly why <laughs> you know I think it is the pace of the guitar I think it is the sound of the guitar so when I play this clip I want you to focus on the guitar okay and then we'll have a little discussion I think it's the cadence. Yeah, so that was Can't Get There From Here by R.E.M., one of their older songs. I think it is the pace of the guitar. You know, there's a chord followed by a bunch of really quick strumming, and then a chord followed by a bunch of really quick strumming. Obviously, jangly guitar, something 
R.E.M. is known for, and I think the pitch, the notes that the guitar is producing are very similar. So instantly that association jumped into my head, and I don't know why, I don't have great evidence for this, this will probably not make my final thesis project, but I just wanted to present it in case anyone else maybe heard what I was hearing or wanted to check out R.E.M. because I'm always, <laughs> I'm always trying to find ways to sneak R.E.M. into the podcast. Are you trying to uh, <laughs> preview maybe an upcoming bonus thing that might be in the works? I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of any upcoming bonus episodes. Okay. As they are usually surprises, <laughs> given our history. Yeah, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I agree. Though. I think the cadence, the pace of it is uh, pretty similar. I agree with that. Well, you did it. You're the headmaster <laughs> sure, of the school. I'm just here to learn. <laughs> okay, let's go to track four. And this is called Arctic World. I don't want to grow anything. favorite on the album hey we have a match it's my least favorite too also by far in fact when i'm listening to this album for fun and not for preparation for this episode i skip this song it takes me out of the momentum of the album so much that i just can't be bothered to listen to it so this is a skip for me i think his voice sounds the most discordant on this song than any other song on the album he really sounds like he's straining it sounds very unpleasant actually i picked a relatively long clip because i wanted to get through the strings the strings are just about the only thing I like on this song. I think the strings are beautiful and they don't really pop up again on the album. No, they don't. So I think that's cool and unique. And the lyrics are interesting, but I have no love for the music, and so I skip it. The reason this is the bottom is it's the least interesting musically on the album as well, regardless of whether they're strange or not. It feels like a traditional ballad. The lyrics are interesting in the sense, okay, Arctic World, what is it about? This right. is an environmental song about drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge in 1987. So oh. talk about a problem that we still haven't solved. Well, that's, yeah, that's He's specific. complaining about drilling for oil while the planet's on fire, as you referenced earlier. And he's able to recognize this as an artist in Australia. And politicians aren't able to recognize it enough to have the wherewithal to fix the problem. Yeah. So I really appreciate that. Now, the reality is that if you read the lyrics, you won't necessarily get that message. So no. the other problem with this is the lyrics are so obtuse that the message isn't particularly clear. The only line in here that gives you any sense of that is the line, I don't want to breathe that Smithsonian air. 
as if the only breathable air is in a museum. Ah. As a result of the burning of fossil fuels in 1987, recognizable by, again, an Australian artist. So this is an environmental song. I have great appreciation for that. But I'm like you. It does really take you out of the album. It's good yeah. it's here and not breaking up the next six songs. And here's the one thing I really do like. The transition from this to the next song, it blends. It's yeah. not even a, a cut, right? Yeah. And the other song starts slow and just becomes this powerhouse over time. So it's a great transition out of a slow song. If you're going to put a slow song somewhere, you had to put it in front of the next song so i'll give him credit for making that connection yeah but on an album that's this powerful we're four songs in and you aren't going to know that at this point right i agree with you totally it's a real drag on this album it is and it, it is. is my least favorite on the album and we're if glad I, we agree on something yeah well <laughs> no, we've done we've agreed on all the beers and we've agreed on the two slow songs are kind of bummers i think we're doing okay today yeah that's not so bad and i got the bonus question on the abigail hummel school of speaking smartly about oh music. that's true I you did purple. correctly identify so i'm having a good day as long as it don't get rained on i'll be okay <laughs> well we've we've gotten a few drops here and there it's kind of nice it's really disgusting out today is it really time to rate another beer yeah i think it is oh my god i know this is killer just so you know, I think this tastes completely different now that I've had a little bit of time after the strawberry. Oh, okay. So I think the sweetness of the strawberry mini weights. This is a little sweeter than it came across the first time because I think in proximity to the other beer, some of that sweetness was lost on me. And I don't get to smell the hint of marshmallow that some people at the table got to smell. I'm relying on taste and I taste more of it now that I've had a little time to sit on it. So I agree with this that. beer, I like it more than I did after my first sip Yeah. Uh, as a result of that. I would agree with that too. I said earlier, you got a little bit of sweetness at the top and a little bit at the back and not really in the middle, but now it's a way more consistent it's very sweetness consistent, yes. the whole time that you're tasting it. I'm getting super, super vanilla. Yes. Vanilla and is think the dominant flavor. Vanilla is the dominant flavor. And is marshmallow a different flavor from vanilla? I, I'm not sure. But if I smell it, it smells sweet. If I taste it, it tastes sweet and vanilla-y. So I don't know what to comment about the marshmallow, but I still like it very much. And I'm going to give it 3.75. And I'm going to give it a four. And I'm going to say the same thing I said the last time when we were talking about Southern style. I'm between three, seven, five, and four on my rating. I'm going to push this one up to a four. I like this one slightly better than the lager. So I feel like it deserves a higher rating. I'm going to, I'm going to go with that. And the reason I like it less than the mini weights, even though the vanilla's there, the sweetness is there, similar flavor profiles. You know, one's a wheat ale, one's a rice ale. But I tend to like a fruitier sweetness than a more desserty or gour yeah. gourmand kind yeah. of sweetness. Right. And so I favor the strawberry mini weights. So that's the third one on our wheel of flavor today. What's number four? Number four is called Commodore Crunch. Oh, really? He got a promotion. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Is that right? Is Commodore higher than Captain or is it just a different naval system? No, I think it's got to be higher than Captain. Interesting. But not Admiral. It's between the two, isn't it? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't know the military ranks. Well, you're going to look it up. Like? Put it in the show notes. Okay, fine. Well, anyway, this is Commodore Crunch. Uh, once again, in the cereal series. This is a sour ale made with, oops, all berries cereal and fermented on huge amounts of blueberries cherries, peach puree, raspberry puree, grape juice, 
and orange juice. Does this count as my serving of fruit for the day? Absolutely. More Wait than a one, minute. I think. They used oops. They didn't use regular Captain Crunch. They just went with the all berry version. Oops, all berries. Yeah, that's what it says. I feel cheated. Why? I don't think that's technically Commodore Crunch, right? That's the Crunch Berry Beast then. Crunch Berry? Oh, I see. Crunch Berries. Ah, give them a little bit of poetic license. Oh, I call it Commodore <laughs> Beast. Commodore Beast. Well, anyway, they say sour slash tart and fruity. I guess you will make the distinction between sour and tart. I'm going sour with this. Now, again, that's coming out of the marshmallow, so we'll have our initial impression, and we'll let it sit a little bit for some space, but oh. sour and fruity and red berry fruity. You know what I mean? Not tropical fruity. The category of berries that I like. I get a lot of tart cherry in there. Yep. Cherry, as we have discussed many times, is probably my favorite flavor in a sour beer. Yeah, I'm getting mostly cherries and then sort of generic other that's, red fruit. That's fabulous. Yeah, this is really good. You know I love a sour ale. We and do. you know I love a sour fruity ale. So this is going to be highly, highly rated. All right, back to the album. What do you got? What's the next track? Track five is the track you mentioned before that is the name of a region in Australia. That's correct. And this is Warakurna. one of the stretch we've just listened to where it is so incredibly clear what he is talking about and it's very 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 rooted in space he's talking about the region i mean he named the song after the region and the lyrics are almost an ultimatum right yeah right 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 the land must change or it must burn those are the two options we either give it back to the people it belongs to or no one has it if i can't have you no one can right, right? this belongs to someone else and if they're not going to have it it shouldn't exist and i think that is a very strong stance to have i'm not trying to necessarily agree with it obviously i agree with giving the land back to the aboriginal people but to destroy it in the absence of that, I think, is maybe an extreme position. I think the album starts with this song. Oh, okay. I, and what I mean by that is I don't think this is the opening track. Now, I'm going into this having already told you two of my three favorite songs. I've already identified them. Right. In the part of the album that I think is the weakest. Ah, I yeah, think, good point. I think the record starts here, from here to the end, are six really well-crafted songs that belong together exactly in the sequence they were I sequenced. See. Yeah. The fact that this starts slow and becomes this hard rocking song by the end, I think is a brilliant song structure. I really like this song. It did not make my top three. Yeah, me neither. But it is a strong position. He takes strong positions in a lot of these songs, yes. but this is about as blunt and direct as you can get. You're absolutely right. 
You can tell this came out of the trip they made that spawned the album. He names cities. He names a region. He talks about some of the stuff he saw, like people living in water tanks. And there's a lot of, but we're all in it together as he goes through that. And he wears that on his sleeve. And he does it very, very well. This is a really, really powerful song. It is. And I think it sets the tone for the next five songs. Because yeah. they're all political in nature. A lot of stuff about the Aboriginal rights issue. And this is why I think this album is so brilliant. From this point on is why I think this is a great piece of art. And you can tell from the lyrics that this came out of anger. This is an emotional song. And you can tell the solution he's proposing is coming out of emotion and coming out of anger. You know, it's not really a practical solution. Give it back or burn it, right? Right. It's not a political solution. It's a solution driven by emotion and anger. Is that the way we're going to fix things? I don't think so. But it's still an extremely powerful piece of art. I totally agree with that. So when you said that you think the album starts here, you didn't mean if you were to resequence the album, this no, is track no, no, one. No. You, you just mean for no. you, the rest of the album I is think the, the first soul four, of the I album. I think the first four songs don't fit with the next six except for the first track the first track's probably the closest you know the other three songs they're good but they feel weird together and then bang we have the next six songs intermission on this album is tracks two through four yes it's it's (laughs) what the orchestral build up before the show starts right right? and then the show starts right you started to clip by the way on the line diesel and dust is what we breathe and the album name comes from that line from that particular song and and I think that anger comes from what he saw in that chore you know as they're driving through these areas of the country and seeing what they're seeing I think that's what generated the anger I don't think the politics of this band were as built in anger prior to that trip sure and I'm not saying that anger is not a useful emotion when it comes to political activism anger is what gets a lot of people into political activism right that's just not where you have to end up you don't get politically active to set fire to it or kidnap the governor of Michigan sure you want to seek political change you got to do that within the rules that have been established. We don't kidnap a sitting governor because <laughs> we don't like something. Yeah, we right? don't storm That's, the Capitol. That we call terrorism. <laughs> a violent action right. for a political end. Right. We don't storm the Capitol. And we don't set fire to an entire country. Because the problem we're going to face with this, and it's a complicated issue that we're going to have to address, we did a great disservice to the people who lived in what we call the United States. And we do have to make that right. The problem is there's four generations of people who lived here who had nothing to do with that what do we give back do we do we give all of manhattan back to the native tribe no we can't it's not going to ever happen but there's going to be a solution that's possible to to allow them to advance at the same rate that people who benefited from those policies advance that's the way you have to do it right? right give them a benefit that other people don't have that allow them to then catch up economically because that's one thing they don't have to worry about we all live here now right so that has to be fixed in a way that's suitable for everybody and i think part of the solution is listening to the people who are marginalized about what they want, right? Right. So this is a song that was written by, to my knowledge, a white man about his perception of the needs of the Aboriginal people. While we love that he's using his platform to advocate for these issues, I would like to hear from the Aboriginal people about what they think should happen with the land, what they want from their government, and how they think it should be resolved. Instead of from the voice of a white man who just sort of witnessed this, 
from not a disconnected place, but from a place of not really having to experience it. And I would say that when he used the title of that song, Warakurna, and some other Aboriginal words or regions, there was some criticism about their attempt to express Indigenous issues to white urban audiences. That existed. Right. There was some blowback among the white urban folks in Australia, not the Aboriginal people. But the point was yeah. that they were using those words to draw attention to the issues. Right. And there was some blowback from the people who were offended that that was happening. So that, for me, means it was a good use of those words. <laughs> yeah, there is a fine line, right? It's a fine line. By the way, you're listening to Pops on Hots, where the, we'll yeah. review music. Not a political and podcast beer. at all. The only fun trivia fact I wanted to point out that I have nothing deep to say about, I just wanted to say, this is a fun trivia fact. He brings up Warakurna, Camel's Rome. Now that is true. Camels are not native to Australia. Camels were imported from North Africa and the Middle East because the environment in the outback is very similar to that of the Sahara Desert, and they happen to do very well in Australia. So that is not a random line that he threw in. There are actually camels in Australia. Isn't that bizarre? That's bizarre, but I think the point there is that on this tour that they made, he was cataloging the things that he saw and the things that he learned, and he kind of used all those yes. throughout the song. Yes. But that's a very cool thing to it's pick up on. It's just so strange. Right. It's so weird. It's very cool. Okay, so now we're on to track six, and track six is called The Dead Heart. He don't serve your country, don't serve your king. No, your custom don't speak your song. This one's on the cusp for me. I, yeah. have, I have it kind of as number four, but I love this song. So good. So hard rocking. I love the drums in this. The drumming is super interesting in this one. Well, it's got a lot of that. We were talking about the pipe banging stuff early on. Yep. In the bridge in particular, there's a lot of that. And this is where that industrial sound of the yep. album comes from. Yep. But to me, this song is the reason why I suspected someone in the band might have Aboriginal heritage. Because this song very much sounds like it is sung from the perspective of an Aboriginal person. We don't serve your country, don't serve your king, you know, British colonialism. We carry in our hearts the true country, and that cannot be stolen. We follow in the steps of our ancestry, and that cannot be broken. To me, that sounds like a modern Aboriginal person speaking about their heritage, their ancestry, their land. And clearly, the person who's singing it does not belong to that heritage and that ancestry. So this, to me, is the one where... If we're gonna call anything on this album cultural appropriation, I think this song would be it. But it's still my third favorite. As far as I know, there's no Aboriginal members of the band. But yeah, this is from the point of view of the Aboriginal people. I don't know that it's cultural appropriation to tell a story for political purposes. 
I think that's fair. I don't think he's lifting it to make money off of it as much as lifting it to draw attention to it. And I think it comes from potentially their friendship with the bands that they toured with when they made this amazing tour back yeah. in 86, 1986. So I don't have those kind of vibes about, oh, it's a white man singing about this issue, therefore it's cultural appropriation. I think it's a guy who's got a platform he's able to utilize in a great way and probably did that with the blessing and maybe even the participation of friends that he made on that tour. Right. So right. I think this is a brilliant song. It's a great rock song. So I love this song. Is it time for our fourth beer rating of the I day? I think so. We're rocking and we're rolling. This is fabulous. Yes, agreed. It has continued to be fabulous. So everything I said before, it's sour. It's a little bit fruity, more in the red fruit vein. I'm giving this a four and a quarter. I feel like since I've been giving the ratings second, it's going to sound like I'm continuously copying you. But I'm also going to give this a four and a quarter. No, good beer is good beer. It doesn't matter who's rating first or That's second. That's true. That's true. Yeah, I agree with you. I really, really get the cherry from this. I know all those other fruits are in there. I can't pick any of them out. But it is a really nice round balance red fruit flavor and then I can really pick out the cherry and I am enjoying it very much and I'm sad that I only have one sip left Aww. just kidding I saved one for later <gasps> what <laughs> I hope it doesn't rain and dilute it out oh yeah that would it be is a, getting that would cloudy be a bummer, it is getting it? ugly if it starts to dump it's going to be an interesting conclusion to the podcast so I hope all our fans are ready for whatever that looks like might have to hold the mics and go stand, <laughs> stand under that staircase <laughs> that'll be fun I'll get pictures of that <laughs> so I have two left yep okay so the next one is Burberry Baltic Porter a strong but extremely drinkable Baltic Porter fermented on huge amounts of blueberry puree fermented with lager yeast and cold conditioned dark cocoa and blueberry notes with a clean and malty backbone blueberry and cocoa that's what it says. Wow. But it doesn't sound like they put any cocoa in there. That just sounds like it's a flavor artifact of the malt. That's another good beer. If you're a dark beer drinker. Ooh. Oh. You're not even a real dark beer drinker and you rolled your eyes. Well, you know, I've been thinking about this and this beer course has actually helped me kind of parse this out. I think I am a fan of drier dark beers. So like dry stouts, I know you hate dry stouts. Opposite stout, of me, okay. Dry stouts and porters. And porters can be sweet and have funky desserty flavors in them, but they're not so heavy, Correct. thick. They don't weigh you down as much. It's a lighter, thinner mouthfeel. Well, and you're dealing with a fruit-flavored porter. If you have a flavored stout, it's going to be a dessert flavor. It's going to be on the sweeter side. It's going to be the vanillas and the chocolates and the caramels and that kind of stuff. Fruity flavors don't break through I think, in a yes. stout. I think you're right. But a porter is thin enough that you can get away with blueberry being a darker fruit. Cherries would work in a porter. No, that's interesting. But tropical fruits would not. Blackberry yeah. might work in a porter. Yeah. But you're not going to put star fruit in a porter no. and have it. There's not going to be any room for that. Right. I really enjoy this. It is. It's, it's really good. It's drier. It has a touch of sweetness, but really yeah, not a very lot subtle. very very subtle and that probably just comes from the blueberry i can't imagine but nice and thin dry yeah pretty well balanced i really beer. enjoy that yeah balance is a good word okay so let's move on to track seven track seven is called whoa
talk about this song at all. <laughs> There's a great divide over how to spell the word whoa. One camp says you spell it W-H-O-A. One camp says you spell it W-O-A-H. And Midnight Oil said, we can't choose. <laughs> we'll put both the H's in there. <laughs> this is W-H-O-A-H. Which so is, is that debate American or Australian? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good Ah, that's so maybe this question. is the spelling in Australia. Ah, interesting. Well, anyway. <laughs> I'm sure you have a different interpretation, but I read this song as a cynical song about religion. So the through line in the song has a very religious connotation. Right. I, I agree with you. Right. Almost looking at religion through an agnostic's eyes or an atheist's eyes to a little bit of a degree. Or right. someone who has been burned by the institution yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. of religion. Right. right. So right. the first line, the Lord is my temple, God is by my side. I read those ironically because he then goes on to say you know, God's telling him, I don't want to see you back here again. Well, you skip the third line. The third line is why I don't go to church anymore. You pay rates on that temple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My whole falling out with religion was when they shoved that basket in my face and asked yeah. me for money when right. I was a college student right. and I had no money. Right. And so it's like, I'm here. Isn't that good enough? And it wasn't. Right. It wasn't good enough that I was there. I owed some sort of tax right. to be able to go to the house of God. And so that third line sums it all up. I agree. And then later on, he's talking about these people that are in terrible situations, right? Girls are not smiling. The stars have gone out. The man with the landslide got his head in the ground. But then God, like an unopened letter left under the door, he says, I am the answer you are looking for. So he creates all these problems for these people. He creates all these bad situations. Theoretically, if he is omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent. And then he says, I'm the solution to all these problems yeah, that, that I created. Who's that sound like? <laughs> anyway, I can't tie this back to any of the pet issues you suggested at oh, the beginning. Oh, I can. Okay, tell me. The issue about the religion is very important throughout the theme of the song. But there's two key phrases in here that tell you exactly what this song about. This is a Cold War song. There's a Reagan reference. And there's a Yuri Andropov reference, who was the oh. Russian premiere between Leonid Brezhnev and Mikhail Gorbachev. So the first reference, the man with the landslide, that's Reagan. He won two landslide elections, but he had his head buried in the sand. Ah. So despite the fact that he was the leader of the free world, he was not addressing the nuclear issue. Got and it. then the Andropos, I, I had to look it up, Androposphere, yeah. which is a play on a word that's different than that, that I will look up and I will send you in the show notes. It's a term that reflects man's impact on the world. It's like anthroposphere. Oh, yeah, that makes right? sense. Does that yeah. make sense? Well, the era we're living in is called the Anthropocene, the right. age of the humans. Right. So when I went and looked up, when I typed in, I started typing in anthroposphere, I got that other term. Uh -huh. It auto-corrected or sent me to that other Google thing about that term. And I was like, no, that's not what I typed in. I typed in this other thing. And it so comes they up, made up this word? They made this word oh, up. Oh, wow. How clever. To that's both fun. tie into man's impact on the globe and Yuri Andropov wow. being the Russian premier 
in the mid 80s. It's really sharp. Okay. It's wow. really sharp very writing. Cool. It's very obtuse writing to get yeah. to the God complex of having weapons of mass destruction. And it's two doddering idiots in charge. It's well, basically yeah. what he's trying to say. And, and then God's saying, I created all this problem for you. I'm the answer. He's the third wheel of the problem. <laughs> He's not the solution, right, right? right? If you're omnipotent, why create the problem in the first place? It's such a dumb premise that I'm so powerful, I'm going to make your life really crappy. Right. Because I want to see how you solve it. Right. What a nonsense way to run a planet. Right. And the way it's written, you could say God's the third leg of the problem or religion is the third leg of the problem. Either way. Either way. What's the, the great other... line that John Fugel sang always says? I'm a big fan of Jesus, just not the unauthorized fan clubs. Sure, yeah. The other line about when those men come from West Point. Just so you know, it was the West Point line that made me go look up these other weird references. It makes sense. I mean, even if you have no context for Andropov, which I didn't before you said that, I mean, you know what that line is about, military colonialism and military expansion. I didn't especially know that we did any of that in Australia. We had a huge presence since World War II in the Pacific. Pacific. And, uh, yeah. and Australia falls under that. that makes I sense. will tell you one story about Yuri Andropov. So I remember vividly when Leonid Brezhnev died. Because that was a big deal. Leonid Brezhnev had been the premier in Russia for 15, 18 years. So it was the only thing I knew as a kid. The big stalwart villain that we had in the U.S. And when he died, there's uncertainty about what's going to go on in Russia. Mm -hmm. And so I remember listening on the radio in the dark to some news reports about... I might have been in college when oh, this wow. went. I'll have to go back and look at the year. But I remember the uncertainty of who was going to be picked and what that was going to mean for American politics. Huh. And he was there briefly. He didn't survive very long. He died relatively quickly but you didn't know what the political system was like so right. the guy dies and the world's on edge what right. does it mean what does it mean and I just remember these really weird news reports on AM radio and I remember listening to them in the dark thinking oh my god the world's such an unsettled place that's so interesting. and this would have been like 82 so yeah. I think I was in college yeah. anyway I think that's how a lot of the world felt during the 2020 election and the, 2016 af and the aftermath okay well let's move on <laughs> again I want to remind everybody you're this listening to Pops on Hobbs. This is a <laughs> podcast where we review music and beer, and we do not talk politics. At all. Never. Ever, ever. ever. The opinions expressed on Pops and Hops are the opinions of the presenters, and Pops and Hops takes no responsibility for their actions. We are Pops on Hops. It's only us. It's, uh, the lawyers told me to say that. <laughs> what lawyers? <laughs> Your cousin. All right. Well, let's go to track eight. Track eight is called Bull Roarer. Back to 
Fahrenheit again? The temperature in the shade had reached 110 again? What? Do you remember being in a desert that hot? Yeah, it was in Arizona, right? No, it was in Thermal, California. Thermal? Yeah, it was outside well, of Palm Springs. It was. We were buying stamps at the Thermal uh, Post Office, which had this weird mural of the Elvis, Fat Elvis stamp painted on the side of the building. Okay. Let's see if I find that picture. I think weird. I took a picture of this. We went to Palm Desert for a weekend with your grandmother, and we went to a desert, not a zoo, but kind of a desert animal reserve. But the temperature that day was 108 degrees in thermal. Good Lord. But it's a dry heat. It was a dry heat. <laughs> yeah, it was a dry Not heat. Not like today. Not like today. In fact, if we don't get rained on by the end of this podcast. That's an act of God. Yes. Well, before the breaking of the rain yeah, was the I line know. you played in I the I know. Lyrics. That's like right now. We're so. right now before the breaking of the rain. I really don't know how to wrap my head around this song. I can't spy any overtly political messaging. It's probably middle of the pack for me. I don't really have anything intelligent to say about this one, unfortunately. I love this song. It's my second favorite song on the album. Get out of here. Why? Musically, I just think it's a really powerful song in that industrial sound. There's a lot of pipe banging on this one. But I had to go do some research because you go, well, what's bull roar? What is that? Right. Bull roars are instruments with flat wood on a string that the aboriginal people play by swinging them and making a whoosh. in fact the beginning of huh. the song you hear yeah, it. yeah yeah okay that's a bull roar oh, okay and so it's considered in some tribes to be a sacred instrument ah there's certain tribes where it has more meaning than others there are some tribes where women can't play the bull roars which is mm, interesting interesting but yeah. that's tribal that's a tribal sure, yeah, thing yeah, it's yeah. not all tribes are not the same this song just it, it's got this driving energy to it that I just really like, and the industrial sound on this I like a lot. And in my mind, I'm wondering, because I don't have any way of knowing this, I cannot find a set list for when I saw them play in Miami all those years ago. Yeah, that would be hard to find. I know, but I have a feeling this was a song that they nailed that night huh. live, and maybe I, after getting the album recognized it or something it's in your like psyche that. psyche or something. Maybe, but I, I think this is a beautiful song, and I, it's my second favorite on the album. Wow. Yeah, I, I agree. It's a good song, but the lyrics, I think they just are creating an atmosphere. It's very rooted in place, like some of the other songs. He's describing the locale. He's describing the sights and sounds he's hearing, and that's where the bull roar comes in. But he's not making a political statement. I no, think no, he's no. just appreciating. I, I, appreciating Aboriginal culture yeah. is how I would view this yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. And when I'm saying that most of the songs on the rest of this album had a lot to do with Aboriginal culture, that's what I would mean by that. I, I say we don't call it. I, I No, think- I'm happy. Okay. So we're getting rained on lately. <laughs> lately, I've got, and this is what happens when you record on location. And I think I've got in most, an uncontrolled environment. I think I'm mostly electronics are covered, and <laughs> we're under in the one place that doesn't have an umbrella. I mean, we've got a ton of cord. We could probably manage to get under that umbrella if we wanted to. Yeah. Whoa, that's sick. Well. <laughs> in what a shocking an exciting shocking. turn of events. <laughs> We've been relocated to just outside one of the brewing facilities on a lovely patio upstairs, away from the crowd and the rain and the lightning and the nonsense. We should have been up here the whole time. I know. <laughs> this is such a more delightful place. But who knows? We like being in the thick of things. We do. That's true. But and I, we and we like that people can see us doing this. Yes, we're kind of isolated now, but what a mad dash to try to protect all Good the Lord. electronics and the rain blows in and the manager of the place comes over to make sure we're okay and we're not um <laughs> 
well. Physically, we're fine. Mentally, we're a little frazzled. Like throwing cords under the stairwell, and we. This is what happens when you live in Florida and you try to spend any afternoon after the month of February outside. I think this is what makes our podcast special. (laughs) Okay. I think think it's time to rate this last beer. I forget where we were exactly. I think we wrapped up our discussion of the last song. I think we did as well. Yeah, I think we were just about ready to rate the beer. So let's get right into that. So this is Burberry Baltic Porter, right? Yep. I like it a lot. I think I'm giving this one a four. Yeah, I'm also going to give it a four. Will you stop copying me? (laughs) I know. Can you let me rate the next one first? (laughs) Oh, I'm delighted to let you rate the next one first. Especially because the last one is your style of choice and very much not my style of choice. Yeah, this one, same thing I said initially when we started drinking it. It's a dark beer that's thinner or lighter, as we said before. I think it absorbed the fruit flavor of that blueberry very nicely. So there was a slight sweetness to it as a result of the fruit sweetness, right. not a sugary sweetness. Yep. I thought it was overall a nice, very smooth, easy to drink beer. I'm going to give it a four, like I said. Agree with everything you said. So that takes us to Dad's pick, finally. Well, well no. We picked it. But, I picked it, but, but I picked you it for you. Picked it for me. This is called Vine and dandy. This is a hazy slash juicy double IPA fermented on large amounts of local passion fruit from from Old Salt Pickling Co. Then dry hopped with Eldorado hops for even more fruity notes. Do we know anything about Old Salt Pickling Co.? I don't, but I love pickles. All right, we'll have to dig up some information on that and give them a shout out in the show notes. That's very cool that it's locally sourced. This is also only the second or third time I've ever seen double IPA styled like this as IIPA. Oh, yeah, you sent me a note about that the other day. Yeah, I did. I sent you a photo of a beer list. And it had the double IPA as IIPA, like the Roman numeral 2 PA. And I thought that was clever and interesting. I'd never seen that before. But on this menu, their double IPAs are styled that way as well. So that must be a thing. This is really tasty as well. I'll be brutally honest with you. Not a lot of hops on that beer. No, no. Which makes me utterly delighted. So maybe you do have to rate it first. This is really... This is really Heavy passion fruit and smooth and not a lot of hops at the end. That's a really good beer. I taste the hops, but there's almost no bitterness to it. There's no bitterness. Extremely passion fruit, but again, not sour. We recently had another passion fruit beer that wasn't sour, and I was intrigued by the separation of the passion fruit flavor from sourness because I associate those two so closely in my head. Yeah, this is really interesting. Very easy to drink. Does not drink like a double IPA. No. Does not drink like it's 8% alcohol. No. Okay, well, while we're sipping on this delicious dare I say. Dare you say. Double IPA. Let's go to track nine. And track nine is called Sell My Soul. Yeah. 
So this, I think, is the clearest example of the sort of industrial sound we were talking about earlier. Yes, right. And, in fact, I have a very specific example of a corporate theme song. What? That I think probably directly ripped off this song. But we'll get to that in a moment. First, I want to discuss the lyrics. (laughs) We have some more religious references, right? Sort of religious ethos. Sell my soul to him. People's quote-unquote sell their soul to the devil right Right. that's the sort of origin of that phrase but in this one he's talking about evil governments corrupt corporations selling your soul to the man quote-unquote the man right this one is the biggest environmental one i think because he talks later about i just want to swim with the fish in the sea and i want faith to heal so that i can be clean he wants nature to heal he wants corporations to stop polluting the planet he wants governments to stop being complicit in that pollution i think lyrically this is a great song it did not make my top three which now you know what my second favorite on the album is by process of elimination right but it's up there it's probably my top half or in the middle chunk of the songs so my notes on this were essentially identical i had anti-capitalism as a theme in this song and to me it was about people working for like poverty wages for these big time corrupt corporations and taking that as what's supposed to be normal you know the whole thing in america is thank goodness that ge came to town to bless me with a job right right as opposed to recognizing that ge makes a buttload of money on your labor and you don't see any of the fruits of that labor you're making a bunch of other people wealthy it's the whole nature of how america was founded right it was how cheap can we pay our labor Oh, the cheapest way is just to own them. But now we, right. we don't do it that way. We complain about minimum wage and hold everybody down because Jeff Bezos needs to fly into space. Again, you're listening to Pops on Hans where we talk about music <laughs> and beer and not about politics. But the point of that is well taken in this song. Again, 1987, these issues have not changed, nor have they gotten any better. And in fact, in many ways, have gotten tremendously worse. So I really appreciate the lyrics on this song. I think that industrial backbone to that song, that pipe banging you shared, is very much about man being on task in an assembly line. Yes. Bang, bang, bang. And it really, bang. they're timed. It's they're timed. right on beat. It's right on beat. Yep. You're so blessed to be doing our work and just stick with that because you can't do better on your own. And the right. reality is, we could, they're afraid of that. And so they hold everybody down through this kind of weird control. I grew up in Bridgeton, New Jersey, right? We had a glass factory that employed one third of the town at its peak and it left in 1983. They, in essence, moved the cheese. If you want to read a great book, Mm. read the book Who Moved My Cheese? And that town has never recovered from that and people just complain about it because they're waiting for the next savior to come in as opposed to grabbing the bull by the horns or, as we say, pulling themselves up by their bootstraps and fixing the town themselves. They're waiting for the next corporate overlord to come fix it for them. What a dumb way to live. They're all capable of fixing it. That's the point. They got sold a bill of goods, and when that company left, they just lived in the ashes and complained, and they're complaining to this day. That company left in 1983, and they're complaining 40 years later that things haven't gotten better there. Well, make them better. You're capable. 
you've just been taught all this time that you're not capable. And that's the problem. And that's why this song's so brilliant. Yeah, but it's also the responsibility of our government to make sure they have the resources and the tools that they need to yeah, make it better for themselves. That's true, but in the ensuing 40 years, we've been taught government's not the solution, it's the problem. That was the message of Ronald Reagan in the same era where that factory closed. Yeah, but that's not the people's fault. So you can't say no, they have to pull themselves up by their bootstraps and fix their own town when they yes. were when they were fed propaganda by a corrupt government. They were fed propaganda by a government in the 80s. They were fed propaganda by a government that was anti-government. Correct. But the villains in that were the businesses. And the government didn't respond because we took that tact of the government's the problem. When in reality, it was the businesses that were the problem. Government should have gotten stronger in the 80s, not weaker. That's a tough call. But when governments side with corporations, government is the problem as well. Yes, yes absolutely right but now they've been kneecapped that when you say oh we need to tax corporations to help build the roads where they drive their trucks business complains about it they've had a free pass for 40 years maybe they need to pull themselves up by their bootstraps but they do by shaking the change out of the pockets of government government and corporations have gotten in bed together right and half the population thinks that's okay Everybody's very excited that Pops on Hops is in the house. You can hear him yelling in the background. Oh my gosh, I don't think that has anything to do with us. Anyway, speaking of corporations, I want to play for you a corporate theme song that I think directly ripped off this song because not only is this an entry in the Abigail Hummel School speaking smartly about music, but this is so similar that I think there's no way this couldn't have been a ripoff. And this is the Home Depot beat. The Home Depot beat. A song that has recently become very popular on TikTok, bizarrely, which is the only reason I know it, and the only reason I was able to hear this connection. But listen to this and tell me you don't hear Sell My Soul by Midnight Oil, okay? Why didn't you sing that? Why did I have to sing that? That song appears in Home Depot commercials. Oh. Why hasn't Midnight Oil called them and said, excuse me, Mr. Depot. Mr. Depot. <laughs> or Ms. Depot, Is his first I guess. name Home? <laughs> yeah. First name Home, last name Depot. Well, we don't know the gender of Home Depot. Correct. It could be Ms., Mrs., or Mr. Or Mix. Or Doctor. Or Doctor. Doctor yeah, or, or comma Esquire. Home Depot, PhD. Regardless, is that not the same drum, bass line, and industrial sounding metal clicks? I can't not see that as the same song. All right, I'm going to give you a job. I don't think Peter Garrett's too familiar with the Home Depot (laughs) theme. Well, I don't think he's on TikTok. (laughs) Yeah, probably not. He's probably got better things to do, like fighting for the Aboriginal people. Yeah, let's not bother him with this. (laughs) Well, I would bother him. I think because because he's just the kind of guy that would do that, right? Oh, Mr. Garrett. Oh, Mr. Garrett. Have we got a tip for you? (laughs) Write that down. Mr. Garrett dash Sue Home Depot question mark question mark. Yeah, when he's on the pod, we can clear that all up. 
Maybe he'll give us a cut. <laughs> I doubt it. We need an increase we'll to the budget. Just, We're trying to go to Australia. He's going to give us free downloads for Midnight Oil albums. <laughs> Midnight Oil, why don't you sponsor us? Oh, no, that's the other <laughs> That's the other jingle. You can't even jingle well. Oh, my God. I'm not jingle worthy. Okay, well, that brings us to the last track, track 10. And this is my second favorite. And this is called Sometimes. vein of dreamland than the stretch of songs we have just heard yeah and so it makes sense that this is my second favorite where dreamland was my first but i think this song is beautiful you laughed at me i did the digital clap at the beginning i have a video i'm gonna show you in just a moment Um, what video this is audio medium well it's You'll see. This song gives me joy. Sometimes when I'm listening to this album, I will start with this song and then loop around and listen to the rest of this album because this song just makes me feel so happy. And the lyrics are, I think, hopeful in the sense that they are telling you that it's okay when bad things happen to you. Sometimes you're beaten to the call, but you don't give in. You get back up and you start all over and you try again. And so it's an uplifting song to me. And I love hearing it. To me, it's anthemic. Very good. Uh, It's a great final track, especially the way it ends. It just wraps up not only the song, but the album so well. I agree. There's a line in here that I think is probably one of the more brilliant lines on the album. I know that the cannibals wear smart suits and ties. Yeah, I was gonna, yeah, so I was after bring all up the talk idea. about Aboriginal people and Native peoples, to have the line about the people who are the real villains here are the guys who wear the ties and the coats. Yep. is the summary of the album yep. and a lot of the songs on the back half of the album. Well, yeah, and the like and the it. word cannibals is so appropriate, yes. right? They're yes. they're eating well, the people they're supposed to be kin with. And it's brilliant because when we think of cannibals, we think of Native tribes and Aboriginal. Um, Ah, yes. And so it's that twist on you don't recognize that you're the people preying on other people. Yeah. Yeah, I've always liked this song. This has been the top five for me. This is probably number five on the album for me. Yeah. Love the way this wraps up the album. So the video I wanted to show you, this is a TikTok that I stumbled across months ago. And when I heard this song and I heard the claps, just the two claps at the beginning, it made me go and dig up this TikTok to show you. You really only need the audio, but I want to show you the video because it's funny. Okay, so here we go. We're going to play it. Oh, 
tongues Always pressed to your cheeks While my tongue is on the inside of some other girl's teeth You tell your boyfriend Let's drop! of that video was there's one guy who records every double clap he is the guy in every song yes the caption was the busiest guy from 2009 to 2013 or something and the producer's like yeah good job you did it and every time i hear the beginning of this song i always do the like i'm the guy he's you know the guy. I, he's walking in what i appreciate is that it's an actual guy and yes. not a machine <laughs> well we all know it is a machine it's not a machine in this song? I don't think so. You think it's an actual guy? They're not banging on pipes and then having a drum machine. All right, maybe. That's my theory. Do you think it was that guy? I don't believe that guy was born <laughs> when this album was recorded. <laughs> so I'm going to go with a hard no. Well, we'll put a link to that TikTok in the show notes. Perhaps our first TikTok ever cited on Pops what? on Pops. I'm sure there will be more. Oh but God. that just makes me chuckle every time. Every time I'm in the car when I'm driving, I will take my hands off the wheel to go... I don't want to hear that. I know. Let's not endorse that, but that is what I do. <laughs> before we rate this final beer, what do you think of the album overall? What's your final assessment? Like I said before, it took me a really long time to get into it. There were some hurdles along the way, particularly songs number two and four, which appear way too early in the album to be the sort of downer, not very pleasant songs that they are. However... This album is really worth the work and the time to get to know it and appreciate it. It is very deep, very political, very angry, hard rocking. And there are some like really poppy gems on here that make it really a delight to listen to. I'm really glad you shared it with me. It doesn't rank among my favorites of the things you shared with me, but I'm so glad I know this album now. I think it's an important album to know, to be familiar with, to know the story behind. I feel like this album's timeless. I think those industrial elements, it doesn't feel like the 80s. It feels very timeless to me because it's got a very unique sound. It doesn't come from a place or a time. Politically, it doesn't either because everything he's talking about is still an issue all these years later. And it puts me in such a great mood when I listen to it. It was one of those amazing discoveries of, here's a video. Here's a song. I'm not really sure what it's about. I found more information. I was enamored by that information. I got to see them live in that window, and I just became a huge fan of this band from that point on. It, a hard band to follow because they're here and then they're not. Yeah. And, you know, they do. It is an Australian band, kind of hard to follow, but uh, have always had a soft spot for this band. And that's the conclusion of my Australian trilogy. We'll be moving on from the Australian thing now that we get out of the 80s. I'm glad you liked it. I'm glad you had an experience where you took a little time to get into it and ultimately you kind of enjoyed the album. I think that's something that people don't do. They throw an album in, they listen to it, they go, ah, it's not for me. You may not know it's for you unless you really get into the heart and soul of what the album is. Yeah. But so many people do respond specifically to the music, and I totally understand that. I frequently respond to albums initially based on the music. And I think with this album, it was because of the pipe banging industrial yeah. sound. 
And I think part of that was I watched them do that live. Yeah. So now I buy the album and I hear it in the background. That's and, true. And I'm taken to this concert. I went to the concert before I bought the record. Mm-hmm. So I think that really helped me get into it quicker. But it is. It's a deep, complex album. It's a deep, complex band. He's a deep, complex person. And thanks for going on that exploration with me today. Thanks for sharing. You are welcome. Well, let's wrap up this last beer tasting. And then I think you have to give me an album. I do. So I think... This is a fabulous beer, and I'm going to give it a 4.25. Wow. <laughs> I'm not going oh, to give it. And I was supposed to let you go first. Yeah, that's okay. I'm not going to copy you. I'm going to give it a 3.75, which is pretty high for me, especially in the double IPA category. For sure. It is hoppy without being bitter, which I really appreciate because, you know, I, I'm a beer drinker. I do appreciate the hop flavor. It's just when it gets so overwhelmingly bitter that I can't do it anymore. And a lot of people just associate hop equals bitter. And you can be bitter without being hoppy, and you can also be hoppy without being bitter. So I really appreciate that this was hoppy and flavorful without being bitter. Really appreciated the passion fruit. Had some sweetness in there, probably because it's such a high ABV. But it doesn't drink like a double IPA. Certainly not scared of this beer. I finished my whole glass of it. I so see that. Going to give it a 3.75. I will accept your rating. What choice do I have? <laughs> you, you don't. I'm, I'm an adult, and I can do my own thing. I have to assign you an album now. Yes. So, Are we still in the closed door series or are we moving on? I would have to go back and look at the exact date of this album. I think we may be even preceding the closed door series. So this is an album that bizarrely enough was purchased for me by Grandma Margo. And when you listen to this album, you're going to say, what, really? (laughs) Because it's a little bit of a heavy, dark controversial album that maybe I shouldn't have been listening to in early middle school, but she purchased this album for me. I got super into it. It's from 2006. So I was in sixth and seventh grade that year. So a lot of heavy themes on this one. It's called I'm Not Dead by Pink. Pink? Pink. I know Pink. You know know Pink. Yeah, you know of Pink. Pink. This is the first album where I'm semi-confident you might dislike it. And I'm okay with that. (laughs) Because I think you should hear the album. Okay. And I think you should know what I was listening to when I was in 6th and 7th grade. As a result of your grandmother. As a result of of grandma. And whether you need to have a talk with her about, you know, (laughs) the music she was giving me at, at that age. Maybe. Because I probably shouldn't have been listening to this album that young. But it taught me a lot. And I still think it's a very deep and meaningful right. album so very excited to have what could turn out to be a very controversial discussion Ooh, with you on our next episode all right well i will do my best i will give it as much effort as you gave this album so, i know you will all right well in the meantime you can find us on all social media platforms facebook twitter instagram youtube at pops on hops pod or you can email us at pops on hops pod at gmail.com Wherever you're listening to this, there should be a link in the show notes to leave us a voice message if that's something that interests you. Or you can visit our glorious website, popsonhopspod.com, where we always have bonus photos, videos, and other materials related to our bi-weekly episodes, as well as our virtual jukebox, where you can submit an album for a chance to appear on a future episode of the podcast. And on behalf of Hops... And Pops... We'll see you next time. Sometimes you're beaten to the bar. Sometimes... Sometimes you're taken to the car, (laughs) but you don't give in. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) 
I didn't Google that for the record. We didn't edit out a pause there. I knew that. I just had to think about it for a second. We'll see how that gets fixed in post. That pause may be longer and longer. How and longer. rude. <laughs> I control the edit. How rude. I can make you look good. I can make you look bad. That's true. My fate is in your hands.